splendid blessed day and a warm welcome to the Grey Light Cafe brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, and sustainability. With you today is Inji Musa, political scientist and teaching associate at the University of Cambridge. And I'm very pleased as always to be accompanied by Mr. Anthony Haynes, creative director of Frontinus. Greetings, Mr. Anthony. Greetings, Inji. This episode is about productivity with a particular focus on the role of space and place. We normally think of productivity in terms of time, namely how to make the most and best use of the limited time we have available to complete the maximum number of tasks. As such, no wonder many of our listeners will be wondering now why, instead of speaking of time, we have decided to focus on the role of space and place. So, Dr. Anthony, may you kindly tell us the rationale behind this decision? Yes, thank you, Angie. So, the use of time is obviously important, but what we do is a separate episode on productivity in relation to time. It's useful to discuss both space and time because they affect the way people work and how productive they are. And in particular, I'd like to challenge some myths here. I think the myths, I would call them platonic myths. I'm not sure how good my philosophy is and whether that's a good phrase, but I believe it is. I think the platonic myth is that people's thinking and intellection is a purely mental activity and is independent of the real world, the place, the space that you do it in. And versions of that myth include things like the digital nomad, you know, the person who can just fly around the world and stop off in Hong Kong or San Francisco Mm. or wherever they want to stop and, and they can switch on their computer and and become, you know, continue from where they left off Mm. in terms of their creativity. And a similar myth is is the one of a suitcase entrepreneur, you know, the person who can live in a hotel for a few days and do some creative work and then move on to another hotel and do some creative work. And obviously there's some truth. These myths are not complete Mm. nonsense. I mean, there's some truth in them. But I think the the notion of topophilia is the love of place is actually extremely important. And uh, a great philosopher, a great geographer called Yithu Tuan died recently. Mm. He wrote a book on topophilia, which, which tried to explore how place actually affects people's behaviors very interesting kind of how you think of the link between the human being and the space and um, how independent Mm. we are or how we actually want to imagine that we are independent but we are not really okay so what should we look for in choosing a place to work then to write or to generate content um, in some way well i think the first thing is not to look for a place but look for a variety Mm. of spaces spaces plural and why would that be i think there are three reasons firstly the simple one which is variety is refreshing absolutely working in the same place all the time can get very monotonous i think the second reason is ergonomics which is if you work in the same place all the time and the same workstation and so on your body's going to be in the same shape you know you're going to be sitting in the same uh, uh, proportions as all the time and that's not good for you if you don't mix up the way that you use your body during the working day the third reason is to try and match the processes of writing and creativity to the places in other words there are different different processes involved in in being creative and some processes suit certain kinds of workspaces and some don't i mean for example is a cafe a good place to work in answer maybe it depends what kind of work you're doing yes indeed i think just um on a side note it's um 
when I was hearing your, your, your answer now, it kind of came to my mind that we are already assuming that whoever is creating content have the leverage to choose a, a place, uh, which I think is, um, yes. is not necessarily always the case. But it kind of pushes us to to think of even when your space or your place of work is restricted, be it an office or et cetera, to what extent can you push and have some agency and some kind of proactive action in kind of changing your place or changing even the way you sit, thinking how you talked about ergonomics yes. as well. So I think this is something maybe we could touch upon or have, have in mind instead of just um, people coming and listening to us and saying like, no, no, that doesn't apply to me. I'm stuck in my, in my office. No, you still have actually some room to, yes. to try to have some agency, even when your, your space are confined. Any thoughts on that? Yes, I think that's true. I, I would say two things. I mean, one is, okay, I'm, I'm very lucky, but I'm not the only person in the world that has an adjustable desk, you know, so I can uh, work at the desk standing up or sitting down. I find that very helpful, but of course they're quite expensive things. I think very often there are more spaces available to people than people realise. In other words, some people discount things. A lot of people tend to think that sort of, you know, written work should be done in a space that's, that's a designated work area, you know, like a like a, a library or an office. I worked with one researcher who was based in the University Department of Engineering in Cambridge, and she found it very difficult to work in the spaces that had been allotted to her, the, the research room and so on. And for some reason, because this is a really intelligent person, it never occurred to her she might go to work in her college library, which is a lovely p- place overlooking wow. the river. It's a beautiful site. And when I suggested that, she found she could write better there. So sometimes yeah. people don't kind of explore all the options available Absolutely, to them. Absolutely, yeah. Um, okay, so supposing that we push for that direction, that even when you are restricted in place, you still have yeah. some agency, what would be the criteria or the specific aspects that you um, need to consider when choosing a work space or place? Okay, well, I, I think the, the first one is ergonomics, by which I really mean something like the, the relationship of your body to the immediate mm-hmm. environment and, you know, what kind of level the desk is at and what, whether it's an adjustable chair and so on. And uh, what I'll do is put in the show notes some links to some resources specifically on, you know, what to consider when you're trying to adjust the height of your monitor in the chair and so on. So that would be the first one, um, ergonomics. I think the second one is what I would call aspect, the question of what are you looking at when you're working? When you look out the window, what do you see? And there is actually a little bit of research, some controlled experiments into seeing how the view affects people. I mean, for instance, um, one experiment was comparing the effect of looking out over a green rooftop garden as opposed to looking over a concrete rooftop garden. And to no one's great surprise, the cognitive performance of the people that had the green view to look at was superior. Wow. So the question of what you're looking at matters. I, as I'm talking to you, I can turn my head 45 degrees and I can look over hundreds of acres of grassland. And that that helps me work. On a side note, I quite envy that one because I saw it with my own eyes and it's really, really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's okay. I, I, um, 
I think also the question of sound and and that I include in that music is important. So there is some research into the effect of sound on people undertaking creative tasks, and I'll I'll put one or two references into the show notes. But it's the interesting finding here is you might assume that what you need is silence. You know, oh, it's too much distraction. I'll go away and I'll, I'll find somewhere silent and I'll work there. And there are activities that are good to do in silence or or I should say supposedly silent environments right but I say supposedly because a couple of corporations in America have actually tried to build totally silent spaces or as near to totally silent as you can possibly get and these are done for experimental purposes but no one could work in these things you know they've done experiments no one can bear to sit in a totally silent box the problem with supposedly silent places is they're never entirely silent. And if you go there looking for silence, you then become more aware mm-hmm. of the Absolutely. divergence. And, uh, so you're sitting in the library, you think, oh, great, I'm in the library, it's nice and quiet, but there's a clock. Oh, ticking. my God, that's the most horrible thing that, that ever <laughs> happened. I mean, quiet places can be very good for certain activities. Mm-hmm. Proofreading. I, I would like a quiet environment for that. If it's more of a sort of, you know, creative activity, I don't want to sit in a quiet library. And um, the evidence seems to suggest that what suits lots of people is a low level of background mm. noise. So if you're in a cafe and there's a bit of kind of chatter, you know, a little, nice little hubbub, but you're not right next to this terribly noisy espresso machine. For creative activities, lots of people find that very conducive and better than supposedly silent places. I just, I know this is an incredibly long answer, but I'm just going to mention one other. Those are my three main ones, ergonomics, aspect and sound. I'm going to mention one other. And I was alerted to this by reading research from Professor Mark Moss at mm-hmm. Northumbria University. So again, I'll put some links in the show notes. He's interested in the way that aroma affects cognitive activities. So if you have an aroma in the room of, let's say, you know, eucalyptus or or lavender or rosemary or whatever, how does that affect the way you think and the sharpness of your thinking? And that does seem to, I mean, I don't think there's a huge amount of research on this, but the research I've read suggests there are some correlations and that some things, some aromas are kind of conducive to certain times of work, work and not conducive to certain certain others i did i did a very informal uncontrolled experiment over several months playing a video game and using different aromas mm. whilst i was playing and that very non-scientific experiment did kind of confirm what people like mark moss were saying so i'll put i'll put the links into the show okay. notes for, for that wow. kind of research and what about what about you ng i've talked at length about my experience of spaces i mean what kind of things work for you wow okay i think my answer will echo a lot of what uh, you have kindly shared as tips so i'm kind of one of these people uh, who like to work around other people so usually like in a place where there is some or but not much movement and some like faint background noise basically which stand as you suggested to be like open libraries um Mm. some cafes not all definitely um, I also like to be able to move every now and then. So be able to kind of to grab a drink, use the restroom or simply stretch my body, which again is available in many public venues. Uh, mm. But definitely I'm not one of those people who like not like a silent place nor a lonely place. So I always like to be like see people moving around, some movement around. Um, and again, I stress here that it's me mm. in the sense mm. that I acknowledge and respect if people are different. 
but one thing that I would definitely say that try to explore different settings, especially when you feel bored from your work. Sometimes you feel bored from your work because your body is bored, not necessarily your mind is bored. So by changing the environment, by changing the space, sometimes you actually kind of get a boost into working again. Um, I would say that also the task at hand and the features of the place will often dictate where I will sit and for how long. So if I have a task that requires mm. a high level of concentration, then I will aim for a place with um, a very low level of movement and potentially maybe no background noise at all. And background noise at all, here I think of kind of uh, yeah. people chatting uh, maybe a bit loudly or a cafe, music or something like that. So I will aim for like a library where only the movement is only like people moving slightly every now and then. Uh, but if I have like numerous tasks, for example, to finish and I require several hours of work, then I will potentially opt for a place where my stay is not monitored and where there is easy room to move around. Um, one thing that I noticed, and I'm mentioning it because it might actually help other people as well, is that how comfortable my position is have often subconsciously affected how likely I, I might go to the same place. Um, so there was um, a place where um, like it was actually quite cold for my feet. And I'm one of these people whose limbs like get very cold very quickly. And I just felt that okay. I wasn't comfortable going to that place. I didn't really kind of nailed why, but then once and then twice, I'm like, no, no, I'm not going there again. And once I actually, it was a bit warm. So like, oh my mm. God, it was actually because it was cold that time. I didn't really like it. So how comfortable mm. is the chair, mm. the height of the table, as you kind of suggest, so the, the external effects, but also the weather is definitely a factor that affects me. Uh, but what about you, Professor? So you gave us like a general uh, guidelines at the beginning. What, where do you like to work and what what kind of spaces um, you prefer? I've got several different f- favourites. I, I used to work uh, quite a bit in Newcastle and there was a Starbucks cafe ne- next to near the monument and it had a sofa and a low table right at the back of the cafe, kind of tucked away behind the serving area and up some steps from the bulk of the cafe. And so people didn't go there very often and it felt like a kind of little mm. capsule. And I used to get huge amounts mm, of writing done there. Um, I also I work up the East Coast line. Uh, I used to work in Newcastle and I work in Edinburgh quite a bit. And when I'm coming home in the evenings, I can get inexpensive first class tickets. And they're fantastic because you have comfy chairs, more space. People bring cups of tea and coffee and sandwiches. Mm. <laughs> it's all kind of very nice. And um, and the gentle motion mm. of the train and the sort of the noise the repetitive of the train going over the tracks. I, f- I find that gr- a great place to work. Wow, that's really So you actually like move from your like place all together to another place by train to get some writing then. Wow, interesting. Mm. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, it's something that also I've been thinking about, maybe we can close with this, is um, so like when you have a project, yep. it's not like it's this is my place or I will work in this type of, of, of spaces and that's who I am, but rather depending on the task at hand. So you said like some writing, I imagine these more like creative writing. Maybe for creative writing, you need particular kind of places, mm. but as you suggested for proofreading, for example, or reviewing other people's work, then you choose another set of spaces. So it's kind of you, but in different, adapting to different uh, environment based on the task at hand. Would you agree with such a view? Yes, I think it depends on the kind of process you're doing. So the way I think of processes, I mean, there are lots of ways of describing processes, but I, I, I think one process is incubation, you know, long-term formulation of ideas. 
In which case, the best place is, for me would be outside walking around, going for a walk. Okay. Another one is drafting, you know, knocking out a first version. So something like Starbucks in Newcastle, that, that was great for that. Another one would be more uh, editing what you've written, and that might be quite detailed editing. Well, I probably want a different kind of place to that. I use the university library in, uh, in Cambridge quite a bit. I, I actually... It's designed by an architect I like. I like the original fittings that they have there. And there are parts of the library that are, are very quiet, you know, and there's a tea room. <laughs> I think most library users spend yes. most of their time in a tea room. But uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think I think it really depends on the type of activity yeah fascinating i'm so happy that i asked that question i like the answer very much so thank you so much professor for um <laughs> for such an insightful insights actually into like how one can use space inside of instead of just thinking of themselves as like oh i have this big task but kind of use the environment as well to help them push forward into the project so thank you so much for such a rich episode today professor thank you well thank you Inge. i've really enjoyed it thank you this was Inji musa with anthony haynes Greylet cafe is edited by dr bart holmark and produced by frontinus limited frontinus specializes in gray literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers, and reports. Frontanis helps creators of great literature to achieve high-quality professional outputs and to be more productive. To discuss your great literature needs and to see how Frontanis can help, you can contact Frontanis via their website, frontanis.org.uk. There is a link in the show notes. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra. Thank you.